drenched with us. Last time, so. are we there? All right, guys. So this morning, the mind of Christ, and uh, I said this earlier this morning in the other service. Uh, when I spoke last, Hannah Faye looked at me and she said, "Don't you have a you know, USB stick? You put stuff in and put things on the screen." And I went, "Um, no, I don't. I speak for my notes." So, old dog, new tricks. I have a few screens to put up this morning. Uh, and thank you, Hannah Faye. We're going to be looking at the mind of Christ. And so there are two statements that I think are, are quite germane for us to consider. So let's have a look at the first one, which is from, her name is Margaret Mead. She was a, a, a very a well-known anthropologist, sociologist, featured author and speaker in the 60s and the 70s, which was a, a tumultuous time. Now, she's got the alphabet after her name, a BA, a BSc, an MA, and she has a PhD from Columbia University in New York. And this is what she said. And I found it really important because we are all children of God. And this is what she, uh, she taught. Children must be taught how to think, not what to think. And I loved it. Be taught how to think, not what to think. As children of God, we need to learn how to think. And then the second statement is from Dr. David Jeremiah and his series, The Dedicated Mind, What Do You Think? And this one really struck me as well, just for you to ruminate on. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. What you think you are. We're going to be uh, looking at the mind of Christ, how he thought, how we can attain it, what it looks like. But to get us there, I'd like to start with a, a very well-known story in the book of Mark, and it's chapter 2. And uh, it, it's Jesus. He's come back to Capernaum, and he's, he's going to be teaching uh, in the synagogue. And, and the place is crowded. People in that area just flock to hear Christ speak. So the place is full literally full and they're hanging on the windows they're out the back door and there are four friends who have a a paralytic buddy of theirs and they want to bring him to see jesus now they've heard about the healings and everything else surely that was in some of their motivation so they bring him to see jesus now if you can imagine the the place is crowded there are pharisees and scribes teachers of the law there and it's fair to assume that the way things went in that culture, that they were sitting in the front row, right up here with Steve and Deb. They were just right at the front row, and they're paying attention to what Christ is saying, mostly because they were a little contrary with him. So that's the scene. And then all of a sudden, on the roof. Now, houses in the Middle East have a flat roof, slightly sloped to drain the water uh, to help with dissipation of heat. So it's a flat roof. These four buddies, with their friend on the mat, climb up on the roof, and start chipping a hole in the roof. And debris starts falling down, and a hole is developing. And I want to pause there and ask you, if you were in that meeting, what would you be thinking? There's debris falling. Now they start lowering the fellow down. And uh, interestingly, and, and this one, it, it jumped off the page to me. It, it says that when... Christ saw the faith of his friends. It wasn't just his face. It was the faith of his friends. That's just an aside for you to, to keep in your mind. But here we have the Pharisees 
in the front row, and they are a little contrary with Christ. And Christ looks and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Meanwhile, you read a little further in the passage, and the Pharisees are thinking amongst themselves, Hey, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And it goes on to say, and this is another teaching point for you, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. It's worth noting. God knows immediately what you're thinking. So when I pose that question to you, if this were happening here and the debris were coming down, what were you thinking? What were you thinking about right at that moment? Because God knows it. I find that both convicting and exciting. Anyhow, the discussion goes on, and, and Christ knows that the Pharisees are thinking this in their hearts. And uh, it does not explicitly say, but we can safely assume that this is a Sabbath. Christ did so much of his meeting in the local synagogue on a Sabbath, and he healed a lot. And it always got him in trouble with the scribes and the Pharisees, not the people. So he looks at the scribes and the Pharisees and asks this wonderful question. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk? Well, Jesus says, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And he got up and he walked out in front of the whole crowd. Right in that word picture, we have a wonderful illustration for us between the difference of a conformed mind and a transformed mind. Let me read out to you Romans 12.2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Go back to the picture. The men in front, the scribes, the Pharisees, they had a conformed mind. The gentleman who was healed, who got up and carried his mat out, which is a breaking of their laws, the scribes and the Pharisees, who had added 600 and some odd additional laws to what were already being taught, he also broke the law, and he walked out in front of them. The Pharisees are a conformed mind. The gentleman who walked out is a transformed mind. Well, let me say it to you this way. Conformed is from the outside in. It's what the current zeitgeist, which is defined as the cultural and social preferred lines of thought and outlook, it's what they put into this. And culture, society, they'll tell us what to think. The transformed mind, this is different. It's from the inside out. The Pharisees are a perfect example of conformed. The gentleman who took his mat and walked out is a perfect example of a transformed heart and mind. Now, the heart and mind, they're connected. And Christ, when he was challenged, what's the greatest commandment? Replied, and you all know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The heart and the mind, they're connected. So, 
conformed from the outside in, transformed from the inside out. It's quite a task, but we've got some help. So let me read you, because uh, we're taught as believers that at salvation, the Spirit, God's Spirit, will indwell us, and we receive that Spirit. God does this. John 14, 15, 17 says this, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The word, the world, excuse me, cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you. Think on that one for a while. The Spirit of God is in you. And he's there for a purpose. I'm going to read further, a little further down, John 14, 26 to 27. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and he will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. When you accept Christ, you get the Spirit. And you get the mind of Christ. And we're going to keep looking at that because it's very, very important. And it's also very challenging. In John chapter 16, Christ says this, verses 12 to 15, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Conformed and transformed. The Holy Spirit is an agent of transformation. In your mind, in your thinking, in your heart, in your life, Jesus thought differently from the Pharisees, and he thought and acted on those thoughts with compassion and love. And if you read through Mark, which accounts uh, gives a, an account of so many of his miracles, you'll see the phrase so many times, and Jesus looked on them with compassion, and Jesus looked on them with love, and healed. Jesus thought differently. The Pharisees, they were a little judgmental. They were a little disgusted. I would say they were even a little prideful. And they were conformed to the thinking, thinking that they themselves helped formulate for the society which they were in. And it's very, very problematical for them at this point because a miracle has just taken place. But you can't do that on Sunday. It breaks our laws. It's not the first time Christ had confrontations with the uh, religious elite. So I want to read to you from Mark chapter 7, verses 6 to 8, after a confrontation. And Jesus looks at them, and this is some pretty tough stuff. He says this, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of commands of God, and are holding on to human traditions. Transformed and conformed. The Spirit will do it. Conformed is from the outside in, what the world tells you how to think. And transformed is from the inside out, what God and the Spirit will tell you 
how to think. The world will tell you this is what you ought to think. The transformed mind learns how to think. It's an incredible thing. This is from Dr. David Jeremiah in his series on the dedicated mind. To have the mind of Christ means that we can look at life the way the Savior looks at life, having his values and his desires. It means to think God's thoughts, not to think as the world thinks. According to the Bible, our minds are capable of understanding God, communicating with God, and fellowshipping with God. We can avoid confirmation, and we can be steeped in transformation. But it's difficult. Indeed, it takes some effort on our part. So I, I'd like to go a little further in this because it intrigued me. What does the mind of Christ look like? What is it? And we're going to go there now, and we'll find uh, some very interesting things to look at. And it's in Philippians chapter 2, and you'll have a chance to see what the mind of Christ is like and how he viewed his task that was assigned to him, including death on a cross. What did he think? What did this mean to him? How did he think about coming to earth to be our Savior? And Philippians 2, 5 to 11, will uh, give us four things that we can glean out of this passage about what the mind of Christ looks like. But before uh, I go too far, I want to start with this. The passage starts with, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Three letters, word let. I don't have a Greek dictionary. I didn't look it up in Greek. The Bible's been translated from that. So I went to the English. And this is how the word let is defined. To allow, to permit, to authorize, to not prevent. You have a job. Your job is to allow, to permit, to authorize, and to not prevent the Spirit from working in you. We're not forced. God is the consummate gentleman. He will not force you. He will lay it before you, but he allows you the choice to see exactly what is coming. You can have a conformed mind or a transformed mind, and it's a choice. It's a very significant choice. Now, in this passage, uh, Dr. Hunt, in the, the book uh, we're studying in the men's Bible group, Bible study group, he uh, calls this passage, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, a hymn. Well, I did some extra reading, and it's incredible what it says to us about what the mind of Christ looks like. So I'd like to go there right now. Verse 6, Philippians chapter 2. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. God has looked at the Son, and He's assigned Him a task. This is what we're going to do. You're going to go to earth. You're going to be born as a baby. You're going to grow up, walk the earth as a man, and you're going to be in full humanity, and you're going to take on all the sins of the world. <sighs> Some task. Now, you've got to understand something, and, and it, it, it just jumped off the page at me. And Think about this. God in heaven, the triune God. How marvelous, how special it is. I can't describe it. I, I'm having trouble thinking about how grand it is 
but all power is given to him. There's, there's peace. There's beauty everywhere. There is no discord. There is no sin. Christ says, okay, all this manifestation of this wonderful stuff, I will renounce so I can be in human form and I won't hold on to it. What I want to point out to you is that this is done with love and compassion because Christ kept his power and he had incredible ministry in doing his miracles. But it was only in doing miracles with love and compassion. He was both, these are the first of the two of the, or first two of the four. His mind was both willing when God assigned it, and it was obedient. God sat and said, Okay, that's what you want me to do. I will do it. I will leave all of this. And again, I can't imagine how glorious it will be, how glorious it was. But he said, Okay, I'm gonna go, I'll go down now. I will do as you told me. He didn't take the outer manifestation of his deity and use it as a bludgeon for us. No, he kept it in his back pocket and he kept his position of loftiness and holiness independent, independent, excuse me, independent from any part of that task. And he let what was coming happen to him. And he did it with love and compassion. So he's willing. He's obedient. The first two. Now we'll go to verse 7. What else does Christ mean in it? Well, it's submissive. He says this. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. From the Son of God to just another Joe on earth. Unbeknownst to those looking with incredible deity and power. He faced the same temptations you and I face. If you read Matthew chapter 4, the three temptations, it's stunning. After 40 days, he quoted scripture. That is submission. But further examples for you, I'd like to go to Matthew 26, and it's at his arrest in Gethsemane. And this, uh, it, it encapsulates the thought of being human and submissive and God, all in one at this very moment. The, uh, the crowd has come, led by Judas. Christ has been betrayed. And Peter takes out his sword, lops off the servant's ear. And Christ says, whoa, listen to this, verse 52. Put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? That's submissive. He's willing, he's obedient, and he's submissive. And further, we all know this. It's in Luke 22, 42. This is one of the Gospels that quotes it. Christ praying again in Gethsemane just before he's taken away. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. He's willing. He's obedient. He's submissive. That's what the mind of Christ looks like. And there's one more. But I'll read to you from Dr. Jeremiah. He says this, Christ voluntarily submitted himself to the will of the Father while he walked upon this earth, so that he never did anything on this earth that was not first of all laid before the Father in heaven, 
so that he always did the Father's will, willingly, obediently, submissively. And uh, the last one that we're going to find in verse 8, it's humble. Sometimes synonymous word used is meek, and I, I find that very advantageous to use because meekness is described as a humble acceptance of one's lowly position before God. Christ was humble. And being found, this is verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, the cross is an invention of the, uh, the Roman Empire. It is for us an icon, and we understand the sacrifice that was made. But this is one absolutely barbaric, heinous form of torture and death. And it was set aside specifically for criminals, people that were not Roman citizens, rebellions, slaves, etc. And they wanted to make an example, and they put them on the cross. If you were convicted of a crime, etc. And Christ, who certainly could have stopped his brutal execution, as he said, he could have called for all those angels. He had a willing, obedient, submissive, and now a humble mind. This is my task. I am willing, Father. I will obey your wills. I will submit to them, and I will humble myself even to death on a cross. This is God in human form. He could have called down the angels. A willing, obedient, submissive, and humble mind. That's what the mind of Christ looks like. You want more illustrations? The Bible's jam-packed full. Just go to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Spend some time looking through it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's been described as the greatest uh, piece on sociology by the current academics. And I'm going to read just a few to you so that you can grasp more of this mind of Christ. And he came out with things like this. The world has co-opted this. They call it the golden rule. Christ taught this in Matthew 7.12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How about Matthew 7.1? Do not judge lest you also be judged. I read that and I cringe. Oh, it, 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 that's tough. I'm going to drive home today and somebody's going to cut me off and I'm going to be, whoa, they need to learn to drive. It's icy on the roads, etc. Do not judge. That's what the mind of Christ is like. Matthew 7, 1, which is really tough. Do not murder. But read further. He equates anger, an unresolved brooding of anger, to the same as murder. That is the mind of Christ. Two more. An astounding one for us all to struggle with. Matthew 5.44. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. That's the mind of Christ. And the last one I want to point out to us is Matthew 6.33, and you all know it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put God first as Christ did. Be willing, be obedient, be submissive, and be humble. This is what the mind of Christ looked like. And I got to tell you, I can't do that. Like I said, I'll be driving home, somebody will cut me off, I'm in trouble. 
How do we manage to have the mind of Christ, and yet we are told it's given to us? Having the mind of Christ means we understand God's plan in this world, to bring glory to God, to restore us and creation to its original splendor in a relationship with Him, and to provide salvation for those who don't believe, for those who are conformed and need transformed. We are to be transformed, and we've got to think with Christ's perspective. Christ's mind, rich, humble, willing, obedient, and submissive. Those are tough, tough, tough job descriptions. So there's a way to do it. There is indeed, and God in His mercy makes it uh, plain for us in His Word. I'm going to read you from 2 Corinthians 10.5. I'm going to read you first from the uh, NIV, which is what I read most of the time. But because it was very helpful, I'm going to read to you also from the message. And there are two things stated in different wording that are very important for us to understand the mind of Christ and how we are to get the mind of Christ, outside, inside. First, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought in your mind captive to make it obedient to Christ. Go back to when we started. And the hole being knocked in the roof, and you were sitting in that room as part of that crowd. What were you thinking? And I asked you, what were you thinking? Was it godly? It's just incredible to me, but we can take every thought captive and bring it to God. The message says it interestingly this way we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. So we got to take them captive and we have tools. Knowing the mind of Christ will help us. It was willing, it was humble, it was obedient, it was submissive, but how does the mind of Christ think? Well, there's a wonderful passage written by Paul in Philippians 4, 8 to 9, and we're going to look at it. But this idea of taking every thought captive and then using our tools intrigued me. So uh, I'm going to use as an illustration uh, online web shopping, which I'm assuming is pretty well ubiquitous now. Everybody has been online shopping, yes? Or a lot of you? <laughs> yeah, Joey. Well, when you do an online shopping, they provide you with filters. And those filters are, all right, who's the manufacturer? Well, what color do you want? What size? What's your price range? And it goes on and on. And as you click off those filters, it shrinks down all your available choices to some that are put before you. That's a filter online shopping. Well, you know what? You and I, if we take everything captive to God and use our tools, can do the same thing so that we think with the mind of Christ. I will read to you from Philippians 4, 8 and 9, and I'll challenge you to memorize it. There are eight really important words. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about them in this way. Paul wrote out for us 
filters. There's your grid right there. We're challenged to be humble, willing, obedient, and submissive. And when you're struggling, you go to this. It's our filter for our thoughts. And let me say it this way. Whatever thought you have that you might be struggling with, contending with, or thinking, uh-oh, I might be getting off, run this through your mind. Is this thought true? Does it line up with God's word, will, and life? Is this thought noble? Does it line up? Is this thought right? Is this thought pure? Is this thought lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? And that is how to think. And when you run into an issue, you can transform that issue instead of conform to that issue by using those filters, eight words. Or you can memorize the whole verse. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. I'll challenge you to go and do that. But, you know, we do have, excuse me, I do have, you guys address it yourself. I do have difficulties at times, for sure. What's this humble, submissive? What's this obedient? Come on. Okay. And God says, you're going to do it my way, and you'll be transformed, or you're going to do it your way and be conformed. Which is it? Dr. Hunt, in the study that we are doing of men, says it this way. At spiritual birth, we have been given the mind of Christ. We read scriptures on that. But in subsequent growth, that mind must contend with established habits, the culture in which we live, and the work of Satan to keep us from growing. I've got some established habits. I'm stuck in the middle of this culture, and I'm a, an easy target for Satan many, many, many a time. Take the grid, the eight things filter it, what your thought is, take it captive to Christ, and you will have the mind of Christ. It sounds astounding, but I want to close by reading to you again from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, a little further down, three passages of scripture that will uh, help reinforce this point for you. And here's the first, verses 10 to 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. These are things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Listen to this. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but it is the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The mind of Christ is given to us at salvation. It requires us to be humble, willing, obedient, and submissive. A little bit more here. Verse 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Love your enemies. A good example. Considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The mind of Christ is given to us. The mind of Christ has discernment in spiritual matters. And finally, 
the one that uh, I really like and we're going to close off with. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And then there's a but, and I wish Pastor Sean were here. He talked to us about when you see therefore, when you see but. It ends this way, but we have the mind of Christ. What does it look like? It's humble, it's willing, it's obedient, it's submissive. How does it think? It thinks true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And when you are indwelt by the Spirit at salvation, you have that mind. The world will try and say, ah, let's change it to this. Culture will shape ideas and thoughts and tell you what to think. But you put it through God's filter, and you will have the mind of Christ. And hold on to those thoughts. Be willing, be humble, be obedient, be submissive. And you too will have the mind of Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. We're Christ not willing, submissive, obedient, and humble. Our days are done. But he was, he is, and he has shown us and given us his mind. May we go through each day led by the Spirit and glorify you in our thoughts. Amen.